0: Rudy Hubbard coached 12 seasons at Florida A&M, had a record of 83-48-3, and and he was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, a well-deserved honor, as a matter of fact, led, of course, the Rattlers to the 1978 Division I AA Championship, the first ever Division I AA Championship, and a win over Miami in nineteen, the Hurricanes—that is, in nineteen seventy-nine—as Rudy Hubbard joins us here, on from the press box to press row, Coach Hubbard, uh, happy New Year! Congratulations and welcome to the program.
1: Well, thank you very much, and happy New Year to you.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, I mean, what, what an honor! Your thoughts, your thoughts on being inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame?
1: Well, you know, I'm I'm, I'm overexcited, man. I, I really was. Uh, Caught off guard, totally caught off guard, because I was of the opinion that most times uh, those kinds of awards are are done leading up to the football season, and since the season was about to end, you know, I I wasn't even thinking about Hall of Fame being. Uh, I thought this year's Hall of Fame group would be over, but uh, I nobody sent me a notice or anything. I didn't get a phone call. And so all of a sudden I got a box, and uh, I opened the box, and it had the Football Hall of Fame it had a letter in there that I had been uh, selected for this year's class. And, man, I tell you, I couldn't believe it. I thought it was a mistake. <laughs> and so I couldn't wait to call the number that they had in there. <laughs> and then they explained to me that uh, that they had talked about it, looked at it, Called several other people about it, and they decided it was time for me to go in. So they really didn't have to go through a whole big process that they normally would go through. So I was overly excited, man. I'm really, I hadn't come down yet.
0: (laughs) No, that's great. I mean, isn't like the way you described it? And of course, I mean, like if you look at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you're, you know, in a hotel room, you get the knock uh, on the door. And of course, we're in in COVID. So, you know, there's any number of ways this thing could have happened. Somebody could have called you. They could have, videoed you, whatever. But isn't that like the best way to find... Like, that's old school uh, getting something in the mail, finding out that you've been been inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because I didn't even... My wife asked me, you know, whose name's on the box? I said, well, mine. But I didn't even open the box for about 45 minutes because I knew I hadn't ordered anything. (laughs) And, uh, you know what I'm saying? So it was like you know i had no clue man nevertheless uh you know i I really i hadn't come down out of the clouds man since i since i opened that box and they told me that it was official and for real
0: so well let me ask you this i mean to 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 some observers including myself i look at uh, your record at Florida A&M, you had a 62% winning percentage. You were at one school, a lot of, you know, there was a lot of transition. Florida A&M was SIAC, then MEAC, then, you know, Independent. I mean, so that, you know, you have all of those dynamics, but you win the first ever Division One AA, of course, now known as FCS National Championship, a big win over Miami, producing some great players, including Nate Newton. To me, that speaks of college football hall of fame. Like we're—is this something, I mean, don't you feel like you should have been inducted into the college football hall of fame? Oh, no question. There's no question. You know, I, I just,
1: I had started to think that, uh, you know, once you win the, the national championship and this is what I learned. Okay. Just not too long ago. Uh, once, once you win a national championship, you're automatically nominated every year. And so that's what had been happening with me. My name was in there among a bunch of other people, and uh and so i I really felt like, as I looked around at some of the other people I would be competing with, they have a they have a player group, and then they have a coaching group. I felt like I should have been in there long ago, but since it wasn't happening, then i I just kind of thought, man, they're they gonna mess around and wait until I pass away." I've yeah. seen that happen to guys, you know. And and the other piece to that is that we've been having difficulty at Florida A&M uh, keeping sports information directors. And so um, I really had nobody. Typically, when you get in a position like that and you're nominated, then the school will just start flooding a bunch of information. Uh, but I didn't have anybody doing that for me. And, and the situation at Florida A&M is not getting a whole lot better. You know, they still don't have a full-time sports information director. And so uh, I just felt like, man, this is not going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think now it's been, it's probably been, you know, eight, nine, ten years. Every year it pops up at the beginning of football season, but, you know, it you know, just goes away. Yep. And so uh, I thought that was going to be another another year that this was going to happen like that. But uh, you know, the, there, there's a, a thing that I, I didn't realize, and and I had some people. One of my football coaches, Goldsmith Fred Goldsmith, knew somebody who knew somebody <laughs> on the on the you know on the committee and the and the group there. As that goes. And then I realized that one of the players I had at Ohio State Archie Griffin uh is a part of it and and so uh you know i I think all of that kind of added up to help me a little bit yeah that that's what I'm being told anyway yeah so so uh once they looked at like looked at my whole situation like you did i I think that's what it came down to is just getting someone to stop and really look at it. And once they looked at my situation, they decided that, uh, you know, it, I had been just out there floating long enough, yeah. you know, and they went ahead and put, put me in. Because the reason why I, thought I was thinking it was a, kind of a mistake, and I wanted to make sure before I told anybody, is because typically I would have gotten something to say, well, you, you, you're you one of a group of people that we're going to pick from. But I received nothing, you know, no call, no no. No note, no email, no nothing. But I tell you, man, it was a great day.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think sometimes, we'll t- you know, I think sometimes you, I mean, we, we talk about Florida a and I think you have to look at it in totality. I mean, you were, you were an assistant coach at Ohio State. You mentioned Archie Griffin, and, of course, under the legendary Woody Hayes, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. That, the voice of Rudy Hubbard, again, 12 seasons as the head football coach at Florida A&M. He joins us here. On from the press box to press row, inducted into the college football hall of fame. Of course, the coach of FAMU, who won the first ever Division I AA A national championship. How, how's how's COVID like? How, how's your family? Should have started out with this, but how's your family? How, how are you dealing with COVID currently?
1: Currently, um, I, I really feel great about it. Uh, thanks for asking. We my wife and I have been kinda just staying in the house. We go to the store and back. Gas station and back. And that's about it. So we've done that and it's been terrible because, you know, all of our all of our kids and grandkids, you know, we haven't been able to see anybody. Uh and so I feel like at our age, you know, we just we just need to stay out of the way. But fortunately, I got a call it was day before yesterday, and they they wanted me to come and get my first shot yesterday, which I did. Oh, nice! And man, that was that was a great feeling because uh, I I really think this is going to be my year. It's just things are just flowing, man. It's just happening, and, and so uh, you know. But I but but that kind of that kind of you know I know it has a lot to do with my age, the reason why they put me up there, but it. I went and had my shot. Didn't have to really wait long. It was, a, it was a piece of cake, you know. I was thinking that it might be a little painful, but it was not painful at all. And uh, I just got to get the second shot now in about three weeks.
0: No, that's a that's a great thing. Hopefully, everybody will go out and, and get vaccinated so that um, you know we can get beyond, of course, coronavirus. Let let me let's let's I want to talk about a little bit first about your time at Ohio State. Of course, you were a player uh, at Ohio State first and then ultimately became an assistant coach. Now, I, I know I read you were the first uh, black assistant coach at Ohio State. Were you the first or certainly one of the first black assistants in the Big Ten?
1: Uh, no. I was let, – let me, let me just – overall, I was probably seventh or eighth in the country. And, uh, and the reason why I'm I'm saying it like that is because, uh, there, there is a book and the book was published by Ori banks. Yes. And it talks, it, it talks about, you know, all the black coaches who were hired and where they were hired and what years they were hired. Now, some of the guys, I think probably it'd be safe to say that I was probably – my first year coaching, we won the national championship at Ohio State. So I was probably one of the most well-known guys. But but, but there was a guy ahead of me. He was more known for playing than coaching. And uh, I'm, trying to think, I'm trying to think of his name right now, which I'm, I'm pulling a blank. But he was at, I believe, University of Illinois.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I wouldn't have been this – First in the Big Ten.
0: Right. But certainly the uh, – yeah.
1: I'm trying to think. He was, a, he was a heck of a player too, man. Pro player. Played pro ball. Then he went and coached. But he only coached a year or two. And like some of those guys, they didn't coach. They coached like a freshman team or something. Because at that time, freshmen were not eligible. I thought I almost had his name. But anyway. Yeah. There was another coach at University of Iowa. I'm looking at these guys, man. I'm just having a, having That's a blank okay. with the names right no problem. now. That's
0: okay. But but
1: but yeah. But 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 it wasn't a whole lot of us. Let's put it that way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. No. I mean, pie, I mean, we can even think. You know, you can. I, I. You know, Bill Hayes was at. You know, first black uh, assistant coach in the ACC at. You know, uh, uh, Wake Forest, and then ultimately went on uh, to to Winston Salem, and then A and T. Uh, so let's do this. We're going to step aside. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with more Rudy Hubbard joining us recently inducted into the college football hall of fame as from the press box to press row Roll rolls on. All right, stand by. We're back here on from the press box to press where we're talking with Rudy Hubbard recently inducted into the college football hall of fame, coached 12 seasons at Florida A&M, the head coach. And of course, uh, was also an assistant coach for six seasons at Ohio State. So what kind of coach Hubbard, take us through what what was sort of the climate like you know at Ohio State with you as an assistant coach under Woody Hayes who you also played for and I would have to assume that I mean you were an integral part of getting Archie Griffin, who won the Heisman Trophy twice to Ohio State.
1: Yeah, you know, the, the climate, you know, started out, uh, I, I got to say, Woody, along with all the other coaches, I mean, I was the first one who uh, had played for him and then was hired to coach there. Typically, he would go and hire coaches from other places. and no, He he wouldn't hire somebody who had played for him. that, 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 that just wasn't happening. But I think what, and I'm going to say this, I never asked him, but my senior year, my, we were supposed to, you know, each year when we played Michigan would be in the odd years, would be at Michigan. We normally would lose. Each year during the even years, we would play at Ohio State and normally would win. And so my senior year, 69, was, I mean, uh, 67, I'm sorry, my senior year, we were – supposed to lose and we were supposed to lose by two touchdowns and it 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 was sounding like coach hayes was going to be released it, and i mean michigan had a good team that year and it, they just expected that they, it was going to be a two touchdown uh, win well we were able to it was my best game best game i, I ever played there and uh we ended up upsetting them and beating them by two touchdowns. Uh, many people would say that probably saved Coach Hayes's job. The next year, freshmen freshmen were not eligible now, but the next year, we hit Jack Tatum and John Brockett and Jim Jim Steelwagon, Rex Kern, and all those guys came through. They were sophomores, and we went out. That was my first year coaching. But I think because we were able to save Woody's job, might have had a lot to do uh, with 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 my being hired.
0: Wow, wow!
1: <laughs> so 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 that's the way we started out, okay? And uh, I remember uh, we really didn't have. A, I was supposed to coach the running backs. Well, before then, I was a running back. And, of course, Woody, Woody really coached the running backs. And so uh, I was with him most of the time. And I did that for like a year and a half, two years. And then I went to him and talked about just taking over, through, you know, the running back, but not, not, not needing him to be in the room with me or none of that. But, you know, when you say at, the atmosphere, it was because – he really didn't know if I could handle that. He just knew, he just I guess felt like it was good to have a black coach. <laughs> right. and so, so because uh, I remember the first time when I was able to, you know, you draw the plays up on the board, and before you have your backs in and go over all the plays before practice and everything, and and I can remember the first time that I did that when I, he allowed me to take over the room and he didn't show up. Uh, he came in afterwards and he saw that I, everything I had put up on the board and everything. And his comment was, you know, I, I didn't know you could write like that. And I, that, that blew me away. I'll never forget that. Wow. And I'm think I'm thinking to myself, you know, he just, he just didn't give me a whole lot of credit. Right. <laughs> but, from that point forward, you know, it, 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 it was, it was, uh, the rest is history, you know, because, but in his mind, he just didn't, I don't, I guess he didn't want, uh, didn't want me to feel embarrassed or what, but he didn't give me much credit for being able to do, to do that as well as I did. Wow. And just fortunately I've always had a pretty good pensmanship, you know what I mean? And he just didn't know it. Right. But, uh, from then from that and and I think a lot you know probably everybody who who uh got hired like that with black coaches, black coaches coming in probably had to go through some kind of adjustment period uh but we we had some we had some problems you know in terms of selection of players uh at first, and uh it was and now that year my that year we had problems that that first year. Okay. We, we had like, we were loaded, but we, we had a guy named uh, Jim Otis, who was a, who was a white fella. And then we came in there with John Brockett and the Leo Hayden. They were sophomores before they were, they were players. Both of them got drafted their senior years. They both got drafted in the first round. That's how good they were. But, Jim Otis was going to be the starter, and it, it, and that's just that. Then and, and that was uh, difficult for me. I was supposed to be the black. I was supposed to be the running back coach, and I'm the black coach, and uh, I just felt like people were going to think that these guys were such good athletes, but they couldn't start. They were not going to break that start lineup. So we would vote on who would start, and Woody would say you're wrong. And and Jim Otis was just going to start no matter what. I later found out that uh, Jim Otis's dad was Woody's college roommate. Mm. But that was that was after I was gone. But uh, saying all that to say this, man, I had a big afro at the time, and a patch of hair came out of my afro big as my fist. You know, it was just nerves over all of that because you know we all knew. And all the other coaches, you know, all the other coaches would vote for John Brocking in (laughs) the start.
0: Right. But
1: it wasn't going to happen right then.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No. uh, uh, Understood. Uh, Rudy Hubbard joining us here. (laughs) on from the Press Box to Press Road talking about his days at Ohio State. Of course, the head coach at uh, at Florida A&M for 12 seasons, winning a national championship. Uh, So what ultimately – how did you ultimately, and that, and that's interesting. So, uh, no, no, one more th- thought about Ohio State, uh, Archie Griffin. So you, you were, um, I mean, were you were instrumental in getting me there? Is that, is that right? Yes, Yeah, See what, and so what had happened? Uh, the, these guys
1: that I'm mentioning, uh, it, it's ironic because John Brockett, and just he just he just texted me the other day, man, for the first time in years. Uh, you know o- over the hall of fame thing but uh john broch was probably uh, I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna say he was uh probably six one six two two twenty leo hayden was pro- six feet and he was probably 225. he these he, are big big guys at the time who were who were fast man so we're talking now uh that would have been Let's see, sixty-eight, 69, 77. We're talking 1972 when Archie is coming in. I happen to have been doing my student teaching at Archie High School to finish up on a degree. And I got to be good friends with, with his head coach, high school head coach, who, who told me that he would never send a player to Ohio State. This is right in Columbus now. And uh, because he... Nobody ever came out there to recruit. Uh, and he, he his allegiance was to University of Indiana because they, they gave him, uh, you know, a lot of time and gave him all kind of techniques to coach and everything. But Archie had decided that he wanted to go to Northwestern University. But by, oh, because I was there working with the head head coach uh, doing my student teaching, we got to be good friends. Once I looked at the film, you know, I went back and Archie was just off the chain, he, but he was just a short guy. You know, he was just, well, Archie still is probably like five eight, five nine, or something like that. And uh, But he had made up his mind that he would go on to Northwestern because he didn't want to be considered uh, going to a football factory. And part of it was that he didn't want to not, have success and be right from there and woody was at the time was of the opinion that we didn't need to recruit anybody locally because he would say that if if they fail they're they're never gonna take the blame they're always gonna blame the coaches and so that was the way he was approaching it at the time well i was able to 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 get them to get serious about archie and and then uh I pulled a lot of people together from the community, and uh, they were able to help in the recruitment. You know, in terms of just making Archie feel like he would be—it would be good to have him stay local. And uh, that's how we got started. As we got the wheels rolling, you know, Woody Woody does his thing, and he was always good at it. Uh, But you know, we—it came down to we're going to take a guy from Pennsylvania who was uh, a white fella or Archie. We ended up taking both of them and, uh, that, and that's where way it happened. But it, there was some argument. There was some argument. We, we didn't have a good system of deciding. And so it, 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 the system was whoever could holler the loudest, <laughs> whichever coach would, would holler the loudest for a player, which was not a good one. And we got into a, really bad situation there where it just didn't make sense so we decided during that period that we had to come up with a better way to determine who would recruit who would recruit and so we ended up saying whoever coached the position would have the final say before it got to woody Hmm. and that's what we but it but it had to be a, a, a a bad argument man a lot of shouting and carrying on and so um once we got archie there that same year i believe it was in 72 Freshman became eligible, and the first game, Archie got in at the last. The game was about over. We were winning, and he got in. Uh, some seconds left to play, and fumbled the ball. And Woody was crazy about fumbles. I mean, he was uh, he would go off man on a fumble, and so it was. Uh, make a long story short. We started the next game against University of North Carolina with Archie lined up at third team. guy named Morris Bradshaw, a black guy, fast as all get out, but not not really all that tough. And then a white guy was number two named Elmer Lippert, who was tough, but not all that fast. And so then we ended up with Archie as number three, and it shouldn't have been that way. But, but that was the way Woody wanted. I wanted Archie to be number two. So, anyway, we get into the game, and we're, we're not moving the ball. And it appeared that, I mean, we, we punted that ball twice, and North Carolina punted twice. It appeared that we were not going to win that game if we didn't do something different. And so I, I, I called down and told Woody, you know, we're going to lose the game unless we put Archie Griffin in. And what happened was he went ahead and did that, which meant we skipped over Elmer Lippert, the little white fellow who was tough. And Archie got in and ran for 200 yards that game.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the rest, as they say, is history. It's history. Yeah. Rudy, you know, What What yeah. funny – I got to tell you this now. Sure.
1: What was funny, though, after the game, Elmer Lippert, the guy that we passed over, his dad was out there waiting for me. <laughs> he, he, didn't, he didn't wait for Woody. He wanted to talk to me because we felt like his son had been done, done wrong. And he had. You know, he had. But I, all I could do was explain to him what really happened, and uh, we shouldn't have gone into that game with his son listed number two in the first place. But and then it took to the next game. Once once we got to the next game, Archie Griffin went off again, and then it was all over. I mean, it was really all over. The Nobody nobody said a word. <laughs> Yeah,
0: That is awesome. Rudy Hubbard joining us here on from the Press Box to Press Row, just inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Step aside, take another break, come back. We'll talk about his time as the head football coach at Florida and A&M. You're locked into from the Press Box to Press Row. All right, stand by. We're back here on From the Press Box, the press row, talking with Rudy Hubbard. He was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame, 12-year head coach at Florida A&M, also an assistant at Ohio State. So ultimately, Coach Hubbard, how did you uh, land the head job at Florida A&M in 1974?
1: <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, each year we have the National Coaches Convention, uh, normally it would be in January and um, at, at 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 those conventions I had become uh, pr- pretty good friends with a lot of really good coaches and we played poker and so uh, that year they were going to bring in a new coach at Florida A&M you know, you know all the guys who are going to be fired at the convention all those guys are going to be out in the hall all night trying to hook up a job for the next year and uh, the guy that uh, they were going to fire, most of the guys knew me. They they had selected me as the president of the Black Coaches Association. We had started a little association. And uh, anyway, Jim Williams was the head coach who was going to be released. And uh, he he saw me. He thought I was going to be chasing some women or something. But anyway, I told him I had to go meet some guys at my room. But we were going to play some poker. And he followed me. Well, he wanted to play. So what happened was he ended up losing his money. Now, generally what it is that the makeup of this poker game, it'd be me and and all the rest of the coaches would be white coaches. you know. But there were some outstanding coaches at this table now. And uh, I, I can say it was probably seven of us that would play, four of us, at some point had won national championships but uh but anyway jim lost his money and it was like on a monday so i loaned him so i want i won some money and i loaned him some money to stay out in san francisco for the rest of the week and we got back i didn't hear from jim and i didn't hear from florida and m you know they they had they had kind of sounded like they were going to be interested in me and so Woody, I mentioned it to Woody. He told me to let him know before spring, so that he can hire somebody else if he needed to, and they would go through spring. Well, no, I didn't hear anything, so we just went through spring. Afterwards, I called down to see if Jim might be in a position to pay me the money. He wasn't. He wasn't in the office, and so uh, I said, "Well, casually, what happened? You guys forget me, or you decided not to go with me, or what?" well, we, we're just in the process of interviewing everybody, and we just interviewed the last guy today. I said, well, you decided not to bring me in, and they said, oh, well, you know, we could bring you in today if you could come. Wow, <laughs> That's the way we hooked it up, so I said, yeah, if you bring me in, I'll come on down. I really was wanting to get down and talk to Jim about my <laughs> money. <laughs> so, I mean, they hooked it up at no time flat. They brought me in, and uh, I, after the interview, and like it seemed like to me it was only about fifteen or twenty minutes, and they decided that I would be the guy. And uh, the only thing I had to do was go talk to Coach Gaither, and you know, Coach Gaither and Woody Hayes were good friends, so that, that's the way it went down. I mean, it just once I did the interview, it was over.
0: Yeah. Wow, that is awesome, Rudy Hubbard joining us here <laughs> on the program. Some success right away. Of course, you look at the undefeated season in 1977, and then while it's an interesting dynamic because the SIAC was still D two, fam, you had applied for a waiver to uh, to be part of the one the newly formed one AA league, uh, and ultimately was able to play for the national championship lost only one game and ultimately won the na- the 1AA national championship that year. What did that mean and also can you take us through the dynamic of having of being D2 at that time and then applying for the waiver to be 1AA uh, also?
1: Man, let me tell you 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 you're asking some awesome questions because I don't think many people dig into this that whole thing and the way it happened because it's quite interesting, you know. D- Division two, of course, um, Jake Gaither had really established Florida A and M and established himself in Division two, and we were playing Morris Brown, Tuskegee, Albany State, uh, Tennessee State, like you know those, those schools like that, and he was Coach Gaither was. Just running roughhouse on everybody, man. I mean, he was beating guys' socks off. And uh, after having been in there for a few years, you know, it, it, I felt like I, I, I would I would eventually want to move the program forward. Because I, I, what what actually happened was we were able to go on a television one time while we were division two, and they paid us ten thousand dollars. For for making that appearance, and I knew, having been at Ohio State, that you know, if you go on television, normally you're gonna have a huge take money wise. I researched it and found out that if 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 we were able to get in one double A, we would make the same amount that an Ohio State or anybody else would make, which would be about two hundred fifty thousand instead of ten thousand. And so knowing I wanted to move the program forward, you know, obviously I wanted to get in there and make some of that money. And so it came down to whether we could get in. And you were right, we petitioned. And uh, Coach Gaither and several of our people went up there and really put it on as heavy as we could put it on. So we were right there. And coming down, we had lost one game to Tennessee State, which was a tight game. It was really, really crazy and uh we were told if we won the rest of our games and beat grambling that we would have a chance to go into the playoff and we we got down we played grambling in the orange blossom classics the last game and we beat it. it was really like 31 to 7 or something like that and and so at that point they selected us to be in the first round of the playoff, and uh, one double eight. is the first time, and, and so uh, then we were going to play Jackson State. We went to Jackson, and that was really the championship game because Jackson was loaded, and we were we we were able to beat them. And uh, a tough physical match, man. It was like fifteen to ten was the score of that game, and then went out and played Massachusetts, and you know. It was, but the reason I said it's so interesting that you would ask that question is because when we're di- division two and then you move to one AA, normally when you're moving in divisions like that, there's some kind of adjustment period. You don't normally go out there and just win them all. And so we went from division two to one AA and then from one AA after winning the championship in seventy eight to uni- playing University of Miami in seventy nine. And and of course their division won and, and, and we were able to upset them in seventy nine. So we we were really, really fortunate we were moving the program. Um but we were on T V that seventy eight year we were on T V four times. Two hundred and fifty thousand dollars each time. So we ended up making a million dollars more than what our program had anticipated. Mm. And I just knew, I just knew we had arrived, man. Okay. Here we come, you know? And I decided that we were going to try to get uh one heavyweight, really heavyweight. And then we were going to add Grambling onto our schedule. So we ended up getting university of Miami. Well, before we ended up playing any of those games, they decided that they were going to enforce, in 1979, Title IX, title which meant that we had to split all of that money. The women had to get a, a significant portion of all that money that we had made. And it ended up putting us back in the hole, back where we were. By then, I had really significantly improve the schedule because I was anticipating our recruiting getting better and everything getting better. And uh, but the reason why I, that that part caught me by surprise, I just never knew that was, and it really hurt our program. Mm. But I think that many people should know that normally when you go from Division two to one AA and then one AA to Division one school playing, you know, there's an adjustment period and you don't normally have the success that we were having at the time we have some players now and uh you know i'm just fortunate that that you know that we were able to have that kind of success but but that's the way it went
0: down yeah no question about it again rudy hubbard former florida a&m head football coach inducted into the college football hall of fame joins us here on from the press box to, cup, uh, to press row, a couple more thoughts, Coach Hubbard. We appreciate the time. And in that vein, like it's interesting because uh, FAMU goes from SIAC to then uh, to Division One AA to the MIAC, then then back to Division One AA independent. Uh, that is so. So with that, even though your last year coaching was 1985, FAMU tried to make the move to uh, Division 1A, I think it was either '03 3 or '04, 4 something like that. Did you have any thoughts on, you know, because this is something, even though it was 10 years later, sort of something that you kind of started in terms of moving the program forward, and then, fam, you tried to take that ultimate step to 1A.
1: I have some thoughts. Um, I didn't want to go, obviously, I didn't want to just jump out there and go 1A. What my, my thoughts were to just meet, play one 1A school each year until we had a feel for how much success we were going to have. And, you know, what would happen before I got to Florida A&M, uh, they would have the Orange Blossom Classic was like a black school's uh, bowl game. Because basically what would happen is they would have a schedule and then the Orange Blossom Classic would be in Miami, but Coach Gaither, who was the athletic director at the same time, would select a school, whatever school they wanted to play. The schedule wasn't set for the whole year. He would select somebody for that Orange Blossom Classic. And it appeared to me, looking at how he did it, is that if he had a great year going, then he would, he would bring somebody in like Grambling or, or, or somebody like that. But if he had a down year where he, he needed to end on them by thumping somebody, <laughs> then he would select a school that really didn't have that good. Because he, he was beating people's brains out, you know. Um, after that, when I came in, we, we were having not selecting people at the end of the year anymore. It was a, a full schedule. Okay. And so my thoughts on the, on the way they did it in the, the 2003 or 2004, whichever year that was was I don't think we were ready for that because it was always going to have to be a game that you typically would either play away which puts you at an advantage all the time or we would have to play at Florida State which wasn't guaranteed all the time. You know, cuz you don't have the facilities to 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 accommodate that kind of thing, right. and that was a part of the rules, actually. And so, make a long story short, my opinion is that when they did that, we we really were not ready for that. Wow! But 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 in in terms of you asked me, my thoughts on how I was going to do it would be to play one, one, one big time school a, a year until we felt like we were, you know, we could do it, and then move it slightly. Uh, and that's the way I would have moved the program.
0: Yeah, and then and then I guess lastly, thoughts on Florida AM and M now joining the SWAC, where you you know you I don't I don't know if I want to call them natural rivals, but I mean it is a situation where you know SWAC football from an attendance standpoint, you know, much greater uh, than the MIAC and FAMU has a lot of support. So now you're playing at Jackson State, you know, the Gramblings of the world. Your your, your thoughts on FAMU moving now to the SWAC?
1: Oh, I think it's great. I think I think now that was a good move. That that all makes sense to me because you know you're talking about, you, I mean you netted it all. I mean you're talking about the the really really great programs and the traditionally great programs, now all getting into the same league, and and that's where it should be. Uh, and so, uh, I mean everybody is excited and I am too, about just opening it up. You know, with Jackson State. Uh, playing grambling for homecoming. I mean, you know, you talk about some serious football now. And, I mean, I, I just think it was a good move from all the reasons you just said, but at the same time, uh, it appears to me that it that all of those schools seem to be on an upswing. I mean, Jackson State bringing in Dion Sanders and, uh, the, the way they're jumping out, recruiting, and everything, and I, I mean, everybody. I mean, North Carolina A and T has been really, really rolling. Uh, Bethune Cookman, you know, all, all the schools who decided to go SWAC, right,
0: or move know, outside A&T. of uh, MIAC, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Those, those those schools seem to be really, really moving, moving forward, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's going to see. Who's really doing the good job and who's not doing the good job? But you, I think what we're going to see is the the level of football and the caliber of football go really go really go up because I think the recruiting is going up. These guys are coming in there, man, really selling black college football and and, and selling. The, they're going to be selling the swag. And so uh, I, I just I, I was just listening to Deion Sanders the other day on one of his podcasts. Uh he's not just talking about Jackson State. You know, he's talking about black college football. Yeah. And and I think some of the other coaches are gonna do the same thing. I think it's great. I'm glad to see it. It's gonna be interesting. Yeah.
0: Rudy Hubbard, again, former head football coach at Florida A&M for twelve seasons, inducted into the college football hall of fame, leading the Rattlers to the nineteen seventy-eight one double A championship, the first ever 1AA championship, now known as the FCS. Joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach Hubbard, this was really, really fun. Once again, congratulations on being inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. And we'll catch up with you real soon.
1: Thank you, sir. Thank you. Enjoy doing it.